Max Gorlin, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hello, friends. It's MJ from the Coaches Panel. Uh, Merry Christmas. Well, that was a week ago. Let's be honest. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2021 and a brand new year of fantasy footy and a brand new series of the 50 most relevant. Joining me on this episode to talk about the player I've got at number 50, who, by the way, is Jeremy Cameron. I've got Kane. Hello, buddy. How are you? Good. Thank you, MJ. Always a very exciting time of the year when this is starting to build and it's a Really tough job. I don't envy that you have to put this list together. No, I don't know. And I always love the the 40s and and, and 50 to kick it off because I always think the range of outcomes on this, you could spend all day going, how did this person make the list? Why why isn't this person in the top 30? I think Jeremy Cameron, you you could have your head spinning for days thinking about all the different scenarios around just Jeremy Cameron, and I know we're going to dive into a bunch yeah. of them right now. Uh, there, There is so much that can happen. In terms of what makes a player relevant, look, it, it can be their price. It can be a position they've picked up. It could be a, a void in a, that they're now, or an extra responsibility that's coming upon them into a side. It could be about what their value is based off what they could deliver and will deliver. Um, it could be about the fixture that they've actually got. There are so many different things that go into the mix, but here's what we will tell you right at the top of the 50 most relevant. There's going to be things you agree with me or Kane or others from the coaches panel or other fantasy footy communities that we get involved. It's not about whether you agree or disagree. It's actually about starting a conversation. It's the first of freaking January. We're still like 80 days away um, from the first lockout. So it's all about opening up our minds to the possibilities of what could be and seeing how that is. It's not about whether you agree or disagree. That's, that's kind of irrelevant. It's about let's see what could be. Let's have good conversations and help each other get better and stronger as we head into the 2021 season. So Jeremy Cameron, he's a fascinating player. 27 years old, arguably the biggest player that moved clubs during the trade period. He is forward eligible. And last year, his top score in AFL fantasy was a 94 against Fremantle. By the way, that is not an adjusted score. And we will talk plenty about adjusted scores and adjusted averages right throughout this preseason. His best score came against Port Adelaide. It was a 119 in terms of a career best. Actually, he loves the Gold Coast Suns. Who would have thought back in 2019, his highest ever AFL fantasy score? That's a 154. While just the year earlier in 2018 in Supercoach, his top score was 168. In that format of Supercoach, he is going to be priced at an average of 72.2. That's what he delivered. Last year in AFL fantasy, it was a 51.1. But for those of you playing AFL fantasy, the way they're priced, people, is they've got an adjusted average. Basically, It's what they delivered for you that year times 1.25. That's the shortest way to explain it for you, but still just shy of 64 is what he's going to be uh, in terms of price that in AFL fantasy, just going to set you back 488,000, a hundred thousand cheaper in super coach and priced in at 472,000 in dream team. And Kane, when we reflect back on the 2020 season, not, much went right, not just for Jeremy Cameron, but for the entire GWS side. Yeah, the Giants had a super disappointing year, MJ. Again, coming off a grand final loss to the Tigers, I think everyone thought that they'd be challenging again. And they've just been a side that's 
around the mark so often, it almost felt inevitable that they would win a grand final. I think that every year that went by, we thought they'd get a step closer. But this year, it was a big step backwards for the club. And as a result, you know, players struggled. And one of them was Jeremy Cameron. And his average plummeted. You went through all the figures. It was just a really poor year by his standards, a player that, you know, is always in the mix for the common medal. And as a result, an All-Australian candidate as well. So to have such a poor year, I think a lot of people were surprised. But when you look at, you know, the value we've got in him now and what we know he can do, it's super appetizing. And then when MJ, we heard about all the reports of Jeremy really struggled with the hub environment. We know a lot of players didn't, um, it wasn't, it was quite restrictive for a guy like Jeremy. We know he's a really outdoor guy fishing. He loves that escapism of getting out of the club and himself yeah Yeah. and and i i totally get that and who could argue anything that we've been through this year in 2020 you know i think everyone's entitled to a bad year but obviously from a fantasy perspective it creates enormous value enormous value and and that's why he's at this position isn't it really yeah massively under look you know a a pricing dip of around 20 points per game in terms of average of what he did in super coach almost 25 points per game in um, afl fantasy and dream team and the the positive for coaches as we enter into a new year is when you have a bad year it's always what are the reasons for it what are the variables and the causation behind it and will that be a trend into the new season and in Jeremy's case, a new club? Or are we able to just write some of those things off, not to dismiss them, but rather to know that in 2021, we might see a bounce back? Because during 2019, the Coleman medal winner that year, all Australian centre-half forward, he was a dominant force and probably the most dominant tall forward in the game at 67 goals from an AFL fantasy and dream team perspective that year he was ranked inside the top 10 for averages with an average of 87.5 he also ranked eighth for total points well ahead of guys like Christian Petrarca and Toby Green I mean that year he scored six tons including a 147 against Richmond in round three and then that career best score that we alluded to right at the top of the episode a 154 in Gold Coast in the grand final round. While in Supercoach, going even better. Ranked eighth in that format for total points and averages for all forwards. Wrapped up the season with an average of 92.8. Eight tons across the year. Four of them over 130, including a 163. And it's not just an outlier year either, 2019. Just a quick flashback to his 2017 numbers show he's got ability despite missing a handful of games he still averaged 88.2 in Supercoach. Um, sorry, 89 in Supercoach, 88.2 in Dream Team and Fantasy. And across both formats that year, he averaged and total points as a top 15 forward. So we've got this guy who's priced drastically below, like 20 to 25 points below what he can be. And history tells us that if everything goes his way, he's not just a top 15 forward. He's a top 10 candidate insane value for what we could get given what we're going to pay for. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it, MJ, that we know if just returning to what we've seen Jeremy do on two occasions, you're really happy with that. Again, is he a top six forward? Maybe not this year because we're absolutely loaded at that top end. We've got guys, you know, that are pushing numbers that you'd almost be happy in your midfield when they're at their best. But I always think he doesn't have to be top six at this price. If he's even within three to five points, average a week of what those guys are doing 
you can hang in there for most of the year and just see how you're going. We know yeah. in limited trade formats, you know, sometimes it's a luxury to make that trade. And other times you go, it's just not worth it. I'm just going to hold on to Jeremy and he's close enough, especially when I paid 20 to 30 points under what he may or may not be delivering. The factor I think, MJ, that's confusing a lot of people is, is the move to Geelong actually beneficial to Jeremy's scoring or is it detrimental? Well, and when I look at the team numbers, the Giants are not a poor scoring team. So it's not like he's, he's moving from a team that was one of the worst scoring teams. It's not a in North Melbourne. Yeah. No, well, if you look at last year, you know, the Crows were down at 1,158 AFL fantasy points a game as a yeah. team. The Cats were all the way on, up on top on 1,333. The Giants were down in fourth at 1,248. So clearly the, we know the Cats were just the best at holding onto the ball. And as a result, they had an enormous fantasy numbers. But, you know, Jeremy's going from the fourth best AFL fantasy and super coach team up to the first. So there's obviously, if the pie is the same and the cats yeah. keep racking up the ball, there's more opportunity. But I think the main factor is how does he work with a guy like Tom Hawkins, who is such the focal point of the cats for them? And I think that's what people worry about is can two talls yeah. coexist? And personally, I think they can because it's all about the game style. When I hear people talking yeah. about, you know, didn't work when Tom Lynch and Jack Rewalt teamed up, and I'm only talking about a fantasy perspective for yeah, that sure. point of view, they, they didn't coexist and both score really well. They were up and down and, you know, over the course of the season, they were both, you know, barely even fieldable options in the Dream Team formats in, in draft and they were, you know, on the fringes in Supercoach. But that's the Richmond game style. Yeah. Like, again, if I look at this chart, Richmond's down at 10th for total team points. And if yeah. you've watched the way Richmond play, I don't care. They don't possess the ball no. in that manner, particularly in their forward line. You know, a lot of the points are going to guys, you know, working hard underneath and funneling yeah, it forward and, and driving it forward. So yeah. when I look at a team like the Cats that love the kick mark game, and I yeah. see a Jeremy Cameron, and I think of the Jeremy Cameron that's the common medalist, you know, the multiple time. All Australian. Yeah. Leading up, getting into space. Fast, athletic, happy to push up onto the wing. Yeah. Use that ability to link up. And I think that's the game style that I like. I know he's going to be working with Tom Hawkins, but Harry Himmelberg and Jeremy Finlayson aren't scrubs either. You know, no. they, they both require the ball at times and both have shown they can kick multiple goals in a game. So I don't think Jeremy Cameron's going from like what Tom Lynch went at Gold Coast where he's the guy. Yeah, And obviously we saw Tom have really big numbers in th throughout his years at Gold Coast and then really regress at Richmond. Jeremy's worked in a side that has, you know, right then, that's two other key forwards, you know, in that area. Also, he's had a guy called Toby Green around as well yeah. who also demands the ball. So I don't think competition and mouths to feed is something new to Jeremy Cameron going from the star-studded Giants to the star-studded Cats. Yeah, And as I said, the Cats are even better at holding the ball, better at scoring. This year, the Cats averaged eight at ten and a half goals a game. The Giants were at eight and a half. Yeah, like you're at, you're adding Jeremy Cameron to this side with guys like Dangerfield, Duncan, Guthrie, Menegola. You got Sean Higgins and Isaac Smith in as yeah. well, winning the ball, driving it forward, creating opportunities. And the last that I want to I want to go through, mm. MJ, that just blows me away. So you've got the Giants for inside 50s, 38 they're averaging a game. That was a 16th. They were the third worst yeah. team in the competition 
for getting the ball inside 50. The Cats were fifth. It's huge. So you've got a team that is great at possessing the ball, working it down monotonously through marks. You've got a guy that leads up, has a great work rate. Yeah. And also he's coming to an area that, you know, he's calling home, his local environment. That's right. You can't tell me the Cats don't want to prove and Jeremy doesn't want to prove just how good of a player he is. If there's a 50-50 handball over the top, I promise you, He's going to Jeremy get Cameron's kicking mate. that goal. To him. And they want to give this guy the common medal. That's how you ingratiate a person into your club, make them feel welcome, and prove to everyone, hey, I know we got some picks back, but three first-round picks was a great deal for us because we got this guy. Yeah. He, so, again, I, I think there's so much value there, MJ. And that's it. We're not paying for him up at the mid-80s range that we were 12 months ago to get him. We're paying for him in the you know the 50s, 60s, um, in, across all the formats. So he's hugely discounted for what you're doing. So any of that risk, should it not pay off for whatever reason, is largely mitigated. And where he sits at in a price point, he's actually perfect. So again, say it doesn't work. Um, and there is the, there are some reasons. We'll look at them in a sec for why it might not work you move quickly to a Buddy Franklin who might pop early at, at, a, at a cheaper price. Uh, you move quickly to this year's Andrew Brayshaw or Hugh Greenwood or Jai Simpkin that maybe for whatever reason you didn't see coming or didn't have the courage to pick, all of a sudden you can pivot across and move to it. So even if it doesn't work, and, it, and there is a world where it doesn't work and work meaning 80, 85 plus in average, the worst case scenario is you burn a trade and you move on. So it, that's not really a, a horrible worst case scenario. Yeah. The other thing MJ with key forwards is more often than not, you can pick that rough matchup. If you see, you know, them up against the Lions and you're concerned that, you know, maybe Tom Hawkins is out and he's going to get Harris Andrews. Yeah. It might be a tough night for Jeremy. And maybe you've got a good rookie with a good matchup or you've got some way to massage a loophole or these oh. sorts of things like, Again, the thing I think about for the upside is that if Jeremy does hit a big game, you know, you read out there, he had scores in the, you know, the 120 range as a ceiling. Yeah. You do that at the price he's at currently, that price is going to go through the roof. And, you know, you might even accrue 100K. We take 100K from a rookie, MJ. So even if you're, just, if you're just using that, you know, as a stepping stone, if you just think, I don't love the, the Cameron pick, maybe you like the fixture, you might better just write a big score and as you said find a new option find that player that you didn't have the courage to pick and even sometimes we know a restructure maybe there's an extra rookie you didn't see coming and you drop down to them and take another lineup there's so many options in that range i feel like jeremy's at least the guy you know as i said does he get top six maybe not he's probably not going to get that role like a petrarca where it's a total new role and as a result you go to a new level of scoring but I, I can't see anything worse than 15 points upside. And I feel like even then I'm selling him a little bit short. I, I think so too. And, and look, we'll, we'll look at the fixture in just a moment. Um, the extra benefit that he is going to have is he has spent all of his career as the key number one forward target at GWS. He's now moving to a Geelong side where Tomahawk is a real different player. Yep, he, he's damaging on the lead. But let's be honest, where do you want Tomahawk if you're a Geelong supporter? You want him one-on-one -on -one trying to outbody and outwork his opponent. That's where you want him. Where do you want Jeremy Cameron? You want him out and about using that aerobic capacity, that strong overhead mark 
into space. So they work together. There is going to be games and matchups where one of them gets the number two tall defender. Neither of them have had that before. There are going to be games where they're going to get, you know, um, like in a Melbourne case scenario, one of them is going to have that freedom where they don't have Stephen May locking them down. Yeah, that's the one. Well, MJ as well. Think about the to. field. Think about the key forwards that have the best field kicks. Yeah. When they're on, it's Tex Walker yeah. and it's Jeremy Cameron. Yeah. When he gets any wheels, like you think about what Tom Hawkins' game is, and again, Fox couldn't stop bringing up Hawkins' arm, but it was effective. You know, they cleared out Hawkins deep one on one. If you want a guy that can penetrate from you know the eighty meters out mark and put it 20, 20 meters out to a one on one very quickly. Yeah. Like not many, like when you said second defender, I started thinking what, what teams, you know, maybe Richmond has the cattle that can handle, yeah. you know, a, someone like that as their second, but there's not many teams that go, geez, we feel great about our second defender. Yeah, no. Like, because you just don't, you know, Brisbane, Harris, Andrews, you know, is, is a Darcy Gardner, is a Jack Payne having to take the next yeah. line, you know, Stephen May, you know, does Jake Lever have to take, that you lose role, your intercept you know, weapon, yeah. Like it's just, it's not a problem that many teams want to deal with, especially when you've got guys. We've got the last few common medal winners. Simply, you've got yeah. Tom Hawkins again. Like you said, they complement each other. I think Hawkins, we know, can play that forward ruck role, use yep. his strength, very good on the lead, but also very happy to wrestle and provide for the smalls if he can't mark it. And then Cameron's that guy that's yeah. Again, for me, he's the link up guy. Yeah. Great kick on the run. Great field kick. Um, you know, we saw the Giants when everything wasn't going right, play him on the wing just to try to do something different because he's such a good runner and he's got such a good build. And um, he's just a really hard matchup. He takes those big defenders into areas of the ground they really don't want to, um, don't, don't they want to be. And yeah. um, as I said, when you've got the way the Cats play with the kick mark, I can just see him getting on the end of those. And yeah, do I think he gets 100? Probably not. But yeah. as I said, if he can get to 90, he's a problem I'm not really considering dealing with until, you know, probably after the buyers, MJ, to be honest, just to yeah, see look, where I'm at. That's it. Look, he's got the round 12 buyout. Probably the only other forwards that you're going to be considering from that round 12 crop would be one of the Port Adelaide pair of Rosie and Butters. I wonder if we'll see one of those guys inside the 50 most relevant, uh, a former teammate in Toby Green, and then a new teammate in Patrick Dangerfield. They're probably the big candidates for forwards off that round. I, I suppose if you want to look for some negatives or, or some of the hesitations for, for looking at Jeremy Cameron, number one is one of the game grounds they're going to play a lot at at home is GMHBA Stadium. It's a very skinny ground in terms of the wings. And so it does make it a little bit harder to be able to garner space deep and wide across the ground. It's not um, uh, playing at the MCG as a contrast. We're able to spaciously move the ground and move the game apart. So look, that that certainly is a reason for the hesitation. Did Geelong still play Asava Radigalia? That Can they play those three tools? And yes, you might think, oh, all of a sudden he might get the third best defender. That's never going to happen. But, but again, how did Geelong structure up that forward line? Paddy Dangerfield, the intent or the hope for coaches is maybe that, oh, Danger plays less midfield time. Well, that's not a guarantee. It, it's a probability. Let's be honest. It's a high probability. But they've got Constable, they've got Parfit, they've got Narkle, um, they've got Jordan Clark, they've got a bunch of Cooper Stevens um, that um, 
bunch of new kids that they must start preparing for the future, even with Isaac Smith and Sean Higgins coming into the side. They've got to start thinking about the future that they don't drop off the cliff like an Adelaide Crows have done after their failed attempt at a grand final. The other thing that's a factor in that you might need to consider, there's two more I want to share with you, is they actually have a, a pretty difficult early six rounds when it comes to key position matchups. Round one, come up against the Adelaide Crows. Now, Daniel Tarly is more than likely to go to a Tom, Tom Hawkins, but the Crows aren't exactly lacking for tall defenders down there. A Tommy Duday is actually a really nice matchup uh, for him. Then as we keep going through the rest of them, it's the Brisbane Lions, it's the Hawks, it's the Dees, it's North, and then it's the West Coast Eagles, who are probably the team that probably have the great tall defenders that can stop them down. So there's one or two matchups there. The Hawthorne one I really, really like um, for them, but there's nothing there that I go, okay, there's four or five gravy games here for them in terms of tall matchup candidates that kind of just might get me a little bit wary through there. And then the last thing, and you alluded to towards the middle of the episode, is our threshold of what we need for forwards. It's higher this year than any other year before. Even just looking at the new names we've got in our forward line. Zorko, Dangerfield, Marshall, Dunkley, Sidebottom. Just those five names alone, let alone the breakouts, let alone the rebound players that are going to pop from nowhere. Maybe it's the Isaac Heaney bounces back. Uh, maybe it's a Michael Walters who had a, you know, a contrasting different starts and ends to the year. So all of a sudden, an 80 average or a mid-80s average, normally that would put you in reach of a top 10 to 15. In 2021, does it? Based off the numbers of the players we have, that starts to feel just a little off pace. Now, again, for the first four, five, six games of the year, that's okay. But if you want to run him to the buys on an 80s and injuries hit, all of a sudden you can start to miss. Now, now there's a lot of variables that could happen that don't get there. But you can start to build a reason for going, an 80 might not be enough. Gosh, the top tier are there. And I want to get like a steel side bottom if he drops down a little bit, but I've got to get him quick. So all of a sudden, Jeremy needs to go 95. Tough fixture in a couple of those matchups early. All of a sudden, maybe he's not the guy for you. Maybe, maybe not. That's the, I think that's the tricky part, MJ, that will keep people from picking him is that bar. He can have a great season, you know, close to a career high or at a career high and be anywhere from 10 to 20 off the big forwards, like those guys you mentioned, Sidebottom, Dangerfield, Zorko, Dunkley, Marshall, you could make a case, depending on the format, they could all be the number one player and they could all be 110 guys. And like you said, the hard thing about Cameron as well is to really jump off at the right time, you're going to have to ride a big score, which means you're probably going to have two weeks to execute a trade. Now, is the player that you want, the Sidebottom and the Dangerfield, going to be attainable with everything else you've got. Like this is where I see with those big forwards and so much value, it's going to be a really tough decision because we we don't want the headache of when do we get them in. Yeah. But I think we all also think that all five of those players, they're not exactly value either. Again, they've all got the ability to be good, but I know we'll tackle them at future episodes, but you do have to weigh into that thinking that off the bat, there is five guys and I'll throw Dustin Martin in because he's just yeah. around the mark every year Absolutely. and he doesn't miss games. 
Like if that's your six, how close does Jeremy Cameron have to get? And what is the number he has to get to that you feel like, yeah, that's close enough. I can do enough with the cash elsewhere. Yeah. Especially MJ, when this midfield is looking like there's value everywhere. So, and for another hundred thousand less across formats where the scoring doesn't have to be as strong. There are guys that have got a history that are equally as compelling. And Mm. so while they've got different concerns about them as well, if for a hundred K cheaper, I can get the same output. And that hundred K gets me another one of these value midfielders or another one of these value forwards on the ground. And I don't have to pick another basement cash cow and I can go and add, you know, for an example, a Lance Franklin instead Mm. of a James Rowe on the ground. Well, I know which way I'm going to start to lean to. Yeah, it feels like, MJ, that you've only got a few points to make your move with Cameron. You've got, if you start him, you've either got to make a call after probably that first two weeks. Is he going to, is he giving me what I want? You know, is this going to work? And then you either obviously make a move, restructure. You know, we all know what after round two is like, where you're preparing for those price moves. Otherwise, you've got hope that he hits big around the buys and you can, you know, make an upgrade. Or if he's still going well, you think, you know what? I'm going to keep him and it's going to be my last upgrade is going to be Cameron, if anything. Otherwise, I think you might just be that player that you just stuck with and you just think it's close enough. I worry about everything else. And hey, I know that if he kicks a couple bags, you know, you're going to start thinking to yourself, it's not worth the trade. He pops one. If he does his one good game for the year and it's a 130 plus and it's a four week stretch, like where's the upside there? So I think the thing that, will scare people off is not so much Jeremy. Yep. It's more clearing that bar. Cause that yep. bar, I can't remember the bar being so high in the forward line so, off the bat, you know, typically, like you said, there's a player, whether it's an Andy Brayshaw last year, Petrarca, Simpkin, before he got injured, they burst onto the scene, Travis Boak, you know, Greenwood, these guys over the years have surprised us with how well they've done. Yeah. We're starting with five to six guys that, you know, any other year, they could be the number one forward. Yeah. And we've got six of them, plus all those guys. Plus the value, Plus the plus Camerons, the, the Tom Phillips. So I think that's the really tricky part that people will wrestle with, where they'll go, do I want to be 20 points off the pace of a really big forward, Yeah. even if I've got value in doing it? Now, AF makes this a lot easier, yeah. doesn't it, MJ? Because yeah. you've got so many more trades. You can jump at different points, and it's a lot easier. I think the one, and I think he'll come under more consideration there for that reason. Let's just see what happens. You know, you're making moves every week. Um, We don't know how many yet, but you could be making up to three a week the whole year. So no problem. But I think it is, it's in that DT super coach where it's, it's so awkward because it's, there's value there. There's clear value there. 15 to 20 points. Easy. But But as I said, is it enough enough value? And is there other lines where you can take, this value play because as Correct. I said, it's it is an all time forward line bar. It is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, look, right now for me, um, he's not in any of my sides, but he hundred percent has to be on your watch list. He needs to be someone that you consider, that you see, because again, things go his way. He pops with a couple of early nineties and hundreds, you're away. Worst case scenario, if he doesn't, you pivot and move. So I don't think it's catastrophic if you go near him because the upside is high. The downside is you're maybe 50, 60 points off for a fortnight. 
you can recover from that super duper easy elsewhere. So, but the question will be, is he the right guy at the right price in that line to deliver for you? Can he get close enough to the big boys early enough to maximize? And are there better options either in that line or others that are cheaper that can do what you need? Either way, Jeremy Cameron's a fascinating player and he's deserving to kick off the 15 most relevant. Before we wrap up the episode, we always look at where players go in drafts. Last year in Ultimate Footy, his ADP, average draft position, was a 72. We're talking a seventh, maybe an eighth round, depending on the draft uh, list sizes that you had. That's not happening again in 2021, Kane. He's not going there. So in that position, he'd probably be someone's F2. Maybe even a very, very, very weak F1. But I don't think I want to grab him as my F2 this year. Is F4 too late for you? Or is F3 a sweet spot? Or would you reach and think, no, I'm going to back him in to go 85 plus and I'm going to go grab him as a very late F2? Yeah, he's probably in that mid F2, you know, mid F3 range. That's probably, I'd probably have him around the, off the top of my head, probably maybe the 13th best forward would be where I'd have to pull him at the front end. Sure. And I'd probably have him around the, you know, maybe 25 on the back end. But again, like you know, MJ, it's one thing to have a forward ranking, but how do you compare those to the other positions? So for me, I've always sort of got defenders and forwards pretty similar. So obviously you've got to weigh up. I'd probably have Jeremy in that 80 to 88 range of scoring for DT. So I'm thinking if you're getting him around the 12th to 15th round, depending if there's a bit of a forward rush and there will be a rush on those six big dogs. Yeah, no question. And that's the issue is after that, how long can you wait? Because the Tom Phillips will be of interest. You know, the Heaney's obviously bouncing back. Like those guys are already down at seventh and eighth best forward. So I think if you're getting Cameron and you're seeing players around him who are in the, the, the low eighties and they're, and they're off the board, and you're starting to look at guys that you think their upside is about an 80, Yeah. you know, even a, even a Tom Lynch, a Jack Martin, yeah. like a Kane Lambert. If those guys are starting to go, I think that's when you can really start looking at Cameron. Cause I'd be surprised if, if he went before them again, I think, I think there's upside that he could jump those guys. Of course. But for me, when I see those guys and Isaac Smith, or Tom Lynch, I've probably got a bit more safety in those guys. Yeah. But I feel like if those are the names that are starting to fly off the board, now it's time to start considering a Jeremy Cameron. Yeah. Because I think you're going to get, again, I think the baseline's 75 MJ. So that puts him in as an F5. Yep. As in, I think the upside's probably hitting 90, which is, you know, career high. Yeah. And that puts him in that, you know, low F2 range. So think about that. But I said, it still runs pretty deep to 30, the forwards. It's after that where you start getting guys that, you know, don't want to. You can. You don't. You don't want to touch till really the late rounds because they're probably going to be a week to week proposition. But as I said, I can't see Jeremy in a dipping below seventy five with an upside of ninety. So yeah. again, look at that pack of forwards, and there's a big pack of them. But yeah, he's probably yeah late F two. Early F3 for me. Yeah, I reckon I'm, I'm pretty happy to go on F3. And even if he's sliding to an F4, like I'm not letting him go past anywhere beyond that. I, I, I'd feel really light on him, my forwards, if he's F2 for me. And that could be an okay strategy to go after where you go really deep and heavy through mids and backs. You miss that top tier of forwards. And then you go for the guys that 
low baseline in terms of variable scoring, but a high potential and away you go. So it's especially guys that are best 22 MJ. That's the thing with the forward line. There's so many guys every year that the average is great, but they're an in and out of the side guy. You know what I mean? So when you've got a guy like Cameron, you know, he's one of the first people picked in the team sheet. As I said, if his worst is that he's your fifth forward and his best is your second, like, it's hard to go too far. That's wrong. not going to be the reason you lose your draft. Correct. If you pick him, you know, in the 10th, 11th, 12th round, and he drifts to being your worst forward on field, that's not the reason you're losing in your draft. Something else has gone pear-shaped on draft day or in a trade that has meant that you've not delivered where you want. In a keeper league, look, you're probably not holding on to him, depending on how many are in a keeper league. You're probably either throwing him back into the pool for a redraft or you're trying to let get a little bit of trade currency out of a Cats fan. Again, it all depends how many you keep in that existing squad will ultimately determine whether or not you do have that. Depends what category scorings are on. That might certainly impact it. But yeah, it, it's a fascinating one where he goes in keeper leagues too. Yeah, I feel like MJ, he's going to be a guy that the preseason, if he has a big preseason game, yeah, he will swing a few rounds in. Yeah. And then conversely... If he looks terrible in the preseason or just doesn't score for whatever reason, yeah. he's going to slide because when you've got that low average and we're all guilty of it, that recency bias of seeing what they did last year, especially in preseason, you want, you want that confirmation. You want to see, I want the Jeremy Cameron of 2019 or 2017. I want to see that. Like that's where you can get some really big bargains. And as I said, he's in the best 22. Again, I think the floor is 75, which we know in five forward line draft teams is an F5 range. That's yeah, rosterable and putting on Again, the field, yeah. There's upside. And as you always say, when there's ceiling, when you think you can play the matchups and, yep. and big, big power forwards are the ones that more than anything, you can pick your battles. Yep. <laughs> if, again, if there's a Brisbane matchup, don't play him. Not round if two. It's a, if, it's an, if it's a North matchup and you think the Cats are going to win by 100, Rampire. or sons like yeah. again that's where i think he's he's very low risk in draft and as you said he's not going to be the player that you use a pick on and cost you your league he's not going to fall from grace because to be honest he already had his fall this year yeah he's already done it for those that picked him in uh, 2020 you've had that uh, look it's a long first up episode because we want to give you a nice little taste uh, of what you can expect from the coaches panel in 2021 and the 50 most relevant do you agree do you disagree you you're keen on cameron uh, has your opinion changed on him uh, let us know via instagram twitter or facebook uh, you can have your comment on that you can grab every single one of these podcast episodes via spotify via apple podcasts or google podcasts and if you join our patreon supporter army uh, the good news is you actually get these podcast episodes 24 hours early yeah so they already know who's number 49 and you've got no clue there will be a clue on our facebook page a little later on tonight so if you want to join our patreon army you get early access content to the 50 most relevant podcasts and a ton of other exclusive content if you want to read more thoughts about jeremy cameron uh, all of those uh, articles on him and other players through the 50 most relevant can be found at coachespanel.tv until tomorrow when i'm back with another member of the fantasy footy community enjoy i hope you're enjoying your new years and from me and kane well we'll chat to you soon yeah.